It's episode 175 of the Listening Podcast. We are coming back to you once again in lockdown, once again in quarantine. Uh, that just might be the reality uh, for a while, I think. But I think for some time now. I mean, honestly, I, I'm getting kind of used to it at this point. No, this is, uh, as they say, Jake, quote unquote, the new normal. Um, but you know what else is not normal, Jake? What's that? Is this news that we have, these news items that we're talking about today. Uh, big news uh, on the 20th of May, new surprise Jeff, Rob- Ro- Jeff Rosenstock album. You found new, it. No, no Dream came out today. I heard about this. I also have heard half of the album. I listened this afternoon. Um, it's pretty good. It's, it's pretty much, it's Jeff Rosenstock. I mean, there's no denying that. It sounds like what you'd expect. Um, and, uh, I look forward to finishing it. And I think it's like, so here's, here's the question. This is almost like if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, did it like, did it make a sound? Would it even be a Jeff Rosenstock album if it wasn't a surprise? That's true. That's actually always part of the appeal. And so is it a surprise? Like I, I get, I I totally, I understand why we call it a surprise, but it's like, is it actually a surprise if all his albums are surprises? I think it is just yeah. in the sense that like, we didn't know it was coming. So yeah, it kind of had to be a surprise. And like, oh, yeah. here's one is, is a surprise always good? Not always. Not when you um, record a music podcast and are falling behind on music anyways, like me. <laughs> Well, we, we can we can get to that, Jake. But uh, yes. this new Jeff, hey, you listened before I had a chance to, so maybe I'm the one falling behind. I don't think so, but I listened to half of it. But yeah, no, it's pretty cool, and it's it's. I just think he's it's cool that he's doing it, you know, because he's one of these guys who is a real positive force in music in general, and like kind of a DIY aesthetic and and mentality about things, um, and even though sometimes personally like his music, I get a little tired of the, the energy he brings sometimes. Yeah. Um, he seems like a really good guy. Like I watched this really brief like interview today with him and he just seems like super likable, incredibly nice and like funny. And like, he's a dude you could like, it's easy to support him. Definitely. Uh, I remember we saw him open for the men's zingers. Yeah. Uh, where was that? The Royale in Boston? Talk Back about shows happened. It was, it was. There has maybe never been a bigger disparity between the like quality of equipment that two different bands have had. Unbelievable. Rosenstock was out there with his like duct taped ass fender and like you know, just real bare bones. He's <laughs> and you know what? He's playing punk rock. So like that that is yeah. get that sound out of it. Um and then the Menzingers came out and they had like professionally mic'd shit and like just pristine Les Paul guitars. Like there's yeah. something so dis- so incredibly unpunk about Gibson guitars. I agree. Maybe they didn't even play Les Pauls. I don't remember, but it just seems so. I think they did. I, they might have. They might have. I think they had like pretty expensive guitars and like had really good tone. You know what I mean? Like really, really nice yeah. amps with like perfect tone, which to me is also not very punk, but maybe they're not trying to be punk. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but yeah, Jeff Rosenstock, he, I, I know what you mean about like the energy can be too much sometimes, but 
when I'm in the mood for Jeff Rosenstock and for that energy, there's like nothing better. It like really scratches that itch when you need it to be scratched. But I mean, shout out to Ian Cohen. Like he, he seems like he's always in the mood for the Jeff Rosenstock sound or like the dog leg sound and is like always on board for that. I'm kind of finding more and more that I'm not. Same here. Um, or I, I'm not looking for that. And I'm wondering, I think Jeff Rosenstock is one of these guys who can go beyond that for me though. Like I will always listen to him, even if I'm not in like the mood for that type of music. Um, well, so, but I'm, I'm interested to see how that impacts my enjoyment of this new one. It's worth saying how he earned that kind of level of trust. It's because he's, he dropped a true and tr- like a straight up classic with worry. Cla- yeah. That's exactly. a classic album. And a pretty, a pretty great follow-up, too, honestly. With Post. With Post. This is my thing. Rosenstock seems to me like the hyper kid in class who yeah. definitely was funny. And once in a while, like if, if, if everything was just right in the cosmos, maybe I even hang out with him for a little bit. And it's like, you know what? We have a right. decent hang. Usually I don't hang out with the hyper kid. But today yep. that, that feels right. It just doesn't always align my, my energy yes. with that because you know what I mean? Like he, he seems like, I feel like there's a name from our elementary school past that were, uh, that's on the tip of your tongue here, but we'll refrain from that. We will. I'll share. I, I can share a story after. <laughs> okay, please do. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to check out this, this new Jeff Rosenstock very soon. Um, Another news item for you, Jake, uh, another new song from Phoebe Bridgers uh, called I See You. Uh, it's from her album that's actually coming out very soon. I kind of thought this got pushed back because of COVID, um, but it's it still did coming out bit, on June 19th. Yeah, June 19th, it's, it's still coming out. Um, it's funny, though, she did change the name of this song slightly. Uh, the title oh. was formatted literally as the letters I see you as kind of like a joke. Um, but she changed it to actually spelling it out the correct way because of the current situation. I gotta uh, say, like, Ooh, it's a little too close to home. It's a very strokes New York city cops situation. Right. Really. Right. <laughs> the exact same. Thing. Well, actually like, kind <laughs> of similar. And in some ways, like this is a, a worse thing we're being faced with than nine yeah. 11. More people have died um yep. 80,000 now dude like just uh no i think it's above 90 jesus you can't even keep it's up a, with it's it it's above 90 i'm pretty sure yeah either way I, so with the phoebe bridgers uh, that's a very Rosillo thing with the phoebe bridgers thing the, the phoebe bridgers thing you know uh i see a lot of people on twitter talking about phoebe bridgers so and, so are we gonna uh, are, we, are we gonna do the phoebe bridgers thing now if we're gonna do the phoebe thing now then let's just do it let's jump in unless you had anything else let's just do it now <laughs> I think that this is going to be... <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. That's spot on, Rosilla. I think this is going to be an excellent album. And like, definitely, probably her... It might be like the one we look back at as her best. Given these three singles, just the buzz around it, it everything's kind of coalescing at the right moment for her. I, I agree. And here's, here's a reality that happens, I think, with um, the new indie rock artist you sort of need narrative in that critics are on board with you and the songs to line up at the same time for like a great album. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Like, yes, this album will be good. And even without the narrative or like the critical love, it will still be a great rock album. But like, there is a phenomenon that happens and I think we're old enough now to see it, Jake. It's kind of a cycle where like, the critics all kind of king someone or in this case, queen someone is like the next like band. We saw it happen with Car Seat Headrest a few years ago. And we're going to talk about that new album and how yeah. like that ha maybe hasn't been the case this time around with Will Toledo. Maybe there's a little bit of backlash against Will Toledo. It feels like Phoebe Bridgers, you know, with Stranger in the Alps, it was on the come up there. There was like whispers and there was like, you know, it was bubbling on the surface. But with this one, it feels like everyone's on board. She's got like the people who were talking about her four years ago. They got the like the people who are on board now. She's got billboards in Times Square. Like this feels like the album where everything's kind of peaking. She also in in line with the billboards in Times Square part of the conversation. She plays the game, man. She knows how to. She's she really she's giving interviews. She's making music videos. She's on Twitter and is very funny. Um, great on Twitter. Great on Instagram. Um, has definitely plays the game. I know what you mean. Um, but like, you kind of need to do that. You and do. She does a oh, good yeah. job of it. And she and she does it in a way that I think is very much who she is and is authentic. And I think that's why it works. Um, yeah. And like she just did that, that she had that interview in the New Yorker uh, recently where they, they followed her all around. They did like a COVID version of it. Um, it was a good piece. It was interesting. Like she's, she, she's a star, you know? The, the it, I, It's so interesting because you're, you're right. What you, I didn't think we were going to talk about this for this long, but I have, now I'm having thoughts about like the economy that there is around yep. young people with yeah. with like with their kind of emerging perspectives on the world and i can already hear the pull quotes of phoebe bridgers saying something about uh -huh. like you know like oh man like like something about like social isolation is i'm no stranger to that so this isn't such a like you know what i mean like it, it's it, i can already see the way they're gonna monetize <laughs> yeah. her because that's what yeah. happens to all these young kids who like if she is young she's younger than us i think she's like a few years younger than us she's 25 um yeah. And, but, but, you know, they, she wise beyond her years, you know, like there's a lot of that exactly. kind of, like, and she plays into and, that and, and it's as true. well. Yeah. And it's true. And that's why she's good. What I find interesting is I think the economy, like you said, of selling kind of an indie rock star, a rock star, that's a scarcer and scarcer thing now, you know? And I think everyone's kind of excited because it's like, yeah, this is like our next kind of person. Yeah. Um, I think that's what a lot of people are latching on to here. It is. And as you and I both know, I don't, I'm not throwing stones at Phoebe Bridgers. I am someone, and I think you are too, Sean, who has been told and who has um, definitely fed into the notion that we are wise beyond our years. And like, love, <laughs> we love that shit. Yeah. Loved being told that. So like, I get it. And like, I definitely yep. feed into it. Where like, Absolutely. I'm going to be more empathetic. I'm going to like try to understand <laughs> history even better as a result of the fact, you know what I mean? exactly exactly no I, I i completely know what you mean um so yeah i mean new phoebe bridger single and, and i think it speaks to her popularity and her kind of clout right now that you know for just a new single release news item we spend you know five plus minutes on it so 
Shout out to Phoebe. I'm really excited for that album. So honestly. am I. Like, I, I really am. Too. One of my most anticipated of the year by far. Definitely. Um, so Juliana Barwick, uh, another favorite artist of the Listen In podcast, she announced that she is coming out with a new album in July. I was thinking about it today. Um, I, I find myself incredibly pumped that like this kind of like ambient artist is coming out with a new album. It's I'm sure it'll be great. We we yeah. probably yeah. This is it's it, this is a tough act to follow for Juliana Barwick. There's probably less to say about her in the in the. Oh, in the, for sure, for sure. I'm, I I just I think it's an interesting news item. It definitely um, is for for how excited it actually made me. Uh, gonna, it feels like what I what I need from music uh, this year. Yeah, the um, ambient albums are like definitely worth their weight in gold right now, especially as we're working, like you both you and I work behind a computer during this yeah. age of social distancing. It's like, it's nice to have one to kind of calm your mind a little bit. Exactly. Which exactly. actually, um, I know we're about to get into Hot Thoughts and we have a list of albums. I don't see on that list the, the um, what's it called? The Soft Pink Truth, which maybe we should talk about because we've both been listening to it. Let's, let's hit that up. So are, are we going to do the Soft Pink Truth thing? Are we yeah, doing yeah, that yeah. right now? Yeah, yeah, you, you, you uh, can uh, hit it. All right, all right. So the thing about this fucking album is... <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> here's the thing. A Rosillo joke about the Soft Pink Truth album is, is, is kind of next level. But it was this you... album, like the Soft Pink Truth. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And every track title is just a word from that album title, which I love. I think that's a great technique that not enough albums use that has been scratching that itch for me jacob needing an album to kind of calm my mind because you know what recently at work i haven't really had like the desire to put on some of these other albums that we're about to talk about uh i've been like "Ah, no i'll save that for when i'm not working because like i just don't i don't have the energy right now to like split my attention between like work things and like life things and then like the world being on like everything going on. So like music has been taking a backseat, at least during work for me recently. But this album has been a nice balm to that. <laughs> totally agree. I think that's three podcasts in a row where you've used the word balm, which I love. You should, I'm you should, working that in a lot. You should try to shoehorn it into every episode if possible, because it, I, it, <laughs> I will. it's good for a laugh from me every single time. So I yeah. agree. This is an album where I, like, like, look, it's an ambient album. It's electronic. It's an experimental record. It's like, it's definitely, it's filled with just enough little sounds and interesting bits to keep you coming backwards. Like, that's the best kind of ambient album where you can have it on in the background and it's soothing. And then there are these little moments that like kind of catch your attention in a kind of an ephemeral way. They're just happening over there. And it's like, oh, that, I like that bit, but I don't have to think too much about it. Um, mm-hmm. Really good and, and definitely worth a listen. I think it's always good to give those albums some shine because totally agree. And what I was going to say is that if you as a listener out there understand our hybrid Ryan Rossillo, the soft pink truth joke, we should just be friends at this point. Like there's no, there's nothing God else. Bless back. you. Yeah. Because the Venn diagram of people who listen to Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo enough to understand that joke and listen to our podcast, and understand and like know about this soft pink truth album is probably zero you very very few yeah 
Uh, all right, Jake, hot thoughts. Let's talk about some albums that came out over the last few weeks. Um, so we haven't done an episode since April. And in that time, Will Toledo of Car Seat Headrest put out a new album called Making a Door Less Open. Um, originally, when this was coming out, uh, I would say, well, how would you describe the critical reception to this, Jake? Not, not middling, but also not as positive as it normally is for his output. Here's what I'll say is that it's funny because, yeah, the, the reception, like this is still in the green on Metacritic. It's in the 70s, I yeah. think. And it got from Pitchfork, I think, something in the sixes. Um, yeah, six, or six, eight like or something. So, like the reception's not bad, but for an artist with as much goodwill built up as Will Toledo, um, you could almost characterize it as bad for someone who is like, and I'm talking strictly about the critical response because we'll get into our probably more complicated actual like takes on the album after this, but got a six, six from, from pitchfork. The way it's been received has been, I would argue again, given the high highs he's been to, you know, and the consistent best new musics and all the buzz and, you know, all the way he's been heralded as a great songwriter and whatever. Um, it's a pretty big dip from that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Cause like stereo gum gave it album of the week. And True. then you see even a Stephen Hyden who has been a big fan of his be like, ah, it's a flawed, but still good album. And then you have Ian Cohen on Twitter saying second Ian Cohen reference on this pod. Shouts to him. I'm ba- I, you can tell I'm back on Twitter and reading Ian Cohen on a, on a more daily basis. Um, he compared it to like local business by Titus Andronicus, yeah. which I thought was an interesting comparison. I actually think though, this album, uh, Making a Door Less Open is better than, than local business or what that comparison would infer. Um, I like this album quite a bit and I like it more than I thought I would. Um, I do too. based off of some of the, the reviews and reception, you know, and I listened to it initially and I was like, yeah, it's like pretty good. Like I, it, you know, I, I see why maybe it got this review on, on pitchfork and maybe was a little disappointed. As soon as I went back to it though, I was like, Oh no, this is actually very good. And every subsequent listen, I have liked it more and more. Um, I think it is relatively inconsistent at times. I think Hollywood is a low point and I, would rather not listen to that song. Um, I, I saw someone compare it to like their version of Beverly Hills by Weezer, which oh. I think is accurate and, and maybe an interesting comparison. Beverly um, Hills, hold but, on. That's not even totally yeah. fair because Beverly Hills was a hit. Like that song is actually like catchy. Hollywood is not, it would never have been I, a, I, a I, radio I think, hit. No, well, I mean, it, Hollywood's even sort of catchy though, but in an annoying way. And I think that's kind of how uh, Beverly Hills is catchy. It's catchy in an annoying way, and it seems almost purposeful in its like we're we're doing this type of song. There's nothing and we're making this. We're we're saying this about Hollywood. It's like yeah, but, that's a very obvious like criticism of Hollywood. And the fact that Toledo's making it in 2020 is like. What are you trying to do here? Remove it from the... So yes, I agree with that. In terms of subject matter and annoyingness of the shallow criticism, yes, uh, totally. Because it's the most 
both songs are pretty surface level critiques of Hollywood and stuff. Right. But the, my, what I was saying is that like Beverly Hills has a huge hook that as soon as you think of that song, it's right in your head. Hollywood has like that annoying Fair. screaming part, which is what I think of first. Fair. Fair. But, but point taken. Fair enough. I get what you're saying. Yeah. I agree. So I, I think. Go ahead. There's inconsistencies here, even though I like this album quite a bit. I do too, much more than I thought I was going to. And I think that if you just removed Hollywood from the track listing, the run yep. from Weightlifters through Deadlines, parentheses, Thoughtful, so that's one, two, yep. three, four, five, six tracks, I think is like pretty unimpeachable. Yep. It's like really good. Some would quibble with Can't Cool Me Down. I know that a bunch of people didn't like that song. Oh. I still do. I really like that song. I've, I, it's actually, I've listened to it like kind of a lot because I liked it a lot as a single and I was spinning it. Like, so Car Seat Headrest kind of took this different direction with this album. And I think when the singles came out, Can't Cool Me Down was the one where it's like, we're doing different stuff. Like we're going to do some synth stuff. The thing is though, the rest of the album doesn't like fulfill that sort of promise. But I think right. it's, better for it like there's pretty straightforward rock songs like life worth missing and there must be more than blood and even weightlifters like those are pretty straightforward i think a song like can't cool me down and like deadlines thoughtful are or like him remix are really the only ones that are going beyond the normal car seat headrest kind of formula of like rock music i mean Martin could have been like a goddamn Beatles song, you know? Like Mar Martin is my highlight. It's my favorite song on the yeah, album. That's right. I think it's excellent. I every time it gets me the part where that little horn thing comes in, like and then they they so they play it over the instrumentals first and then they cut everything out and just the horn is in there. That's a cool little like sort of run they have in there melodically and like yeah. um I just think it's it really excellent chorus and i think that if you're ignoring this album because of hollywood which i think some people are doing and you yeah. like car seat headrest i think you're missing out on some really good songs i think weightlifters um both the deadline songs um and martin are some of my favorite songs he's done and i, I like can't cool me down a good amount too so like i i, I think it's at least worth yeah. checking out absolutely and yeah and i'm kind of with you like hollywood came out i heard it i was like i don't know like what's what's this album gonna be and then you know, you see that that story where he maybe had some writer's block with this and he was messing around with like this character with the gas mask and yeah. he's going to wear the gas mask it shows. And you're like, what is Toledo up to with this? And you don't know how seriously to take a song like Hollywood. But I agree. If you just listen to this as a normal car seat headrest album, ignore that like weird storyline or like character thing and ignore Hollywood, you have a great album on your hands. You'd have 10 songs at like under 45 minutes and it's tight. If there's one criticism against the last couple car seat uh, albums, it's they're long, yeah, you know? they're too long. And you're not always here for like that long of an album. Um, I think this is the, like, with the exception of Hollywood, very tight. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think it's pretty easy to listen to. I found myself wanting to come back to it. Um, it's been pleasantly surprising. And like, I think, yeah, I mean, we're making the same point over and over, but it's a good album and um, it has some some tough points. And, and Stephen Hyden's point that he made 
about the fact that it'll be this kind of underappreciated in its time, but ultimately probably well-liked album, I think is a good point. I think that's true. I could see it being like, I I mean, like, yeah, you look at a bunch of albums in in bands from the 60s and 70s or 80s, their catalog, where it's like, oh, it's a warts and all album. Like, there's bad songs on right. it, but it's still good. It's like, yeah, that's because we love the artists now. Like, and, and, and I do think Toledo is very aware of those narratives forming and is like, yes, I, you know, maybe he's playing into that a little bit. I don't know. He seems pretty aware of that kind of stuff in general. So, yeah. Good album. Worth checking out despite the the negative press. Yeah. Uh, The next one, Jake, this one came out just this last week. Charlie XCX uh, coming out with her new album, How I'm Feeling Now. This, I would say, is the first true quarantine album in that she's been working on this since the the world went on lockdown. Um, She's been kind of chronicling the experience of doing that while on lockdown. Um, I would say there's definitely lyrics on this album that relate back to being in lockdown and like not being able to see your friends, not being able to go to parties. Yes. It's like the pop music quarantine album. Uh, And I'm fascinated by that idea. What's the song where she, she says like, she's thinking about her friends and it's like a rainbow or whatever in her mind or something. There's some song party for you. There's one of them. Is it Pink Diamond? Dude, it could have been any of them. That, yeah. That's the thing is like, it's, it's she's creating like this quarantine, like apocalyptic future party album. Yeah, it's true. It's like, it's like, this is for when we can get back to normal. And even the album cover with her, like kind of in what looks like maybe underwear or like a kind of like a cami type thing going on. Um, yeah. And like Camisol. Yes. Um, and it definitely looks like a pretty homemade kind of image thing going on. Um, it definitely has that vibe for sure. I'm sure that's what she was going for. I'm, I'm interested, Sean, because I never listened to her acclaimed album from last year. Um, and I'm, I'm curious how this, this stacks up as a follow-up for you. I'm sure it's not quite the same, but. No, it's not. But I think she sort of set the expectation of like, it's not meant to be and it's better for it. Because, like, that album, Charlie, was so mammoth and kind of reintroduced Charlie XCX as, like, a force. Um, and she's doing, she, she's adopting this sound that, I don't know, Jake, have you heard um, that duo uh, 100 Gex? Yeah, I've it's heard like, some of that stuff, yep. It's very, like, kind of the Yeezus, uh industrial like grinding like pounding sound but they craft it into like these expert kind of pop melodies and drops and things like that that just really work and charlie xcx has like been a fan of them they actually i think worked on the song claws with her on this album um and she's kind of channeling that type of sound and it's this I don't know she's been really smart about like getting out in front of that or like sort of adopting that style at the right time um because I I feel like more and more pop music is sort of going that way um and to me this feels like kind of an on the like on the cutting edge pop album I'm, I'm like really fascinated by it and there's a lot here to like like every song on this was catchy in a way that I really liked 
Yeah, I agree. I listened to it for the first time today on a run, and it was a perfect soundtrack to something like that, for sure. Yeah. And I, I was I found myself thinking about how, and this may even be a point you've made before, but what I find interesting about Charlie XCX and there are other examples, like Taylor Swift is maybe a little like this. It's like, you know how in the NBA we talk about the player empowerment era where yeah. um, where players seem to have taken the reins back a little bit? It feels like yeah. that kind of thing has happened with, with pop singers in some respect where someone like Charlie XCX, don't you get the perception that she's more in control of her own destiny than like Britney Spears ever was? Someone, someone from yes, that. But I, I, I don't think that's a, even a fair comparison to Charlie XCX. Cause I see her as like a, like an actual, like a true artist. Well, okay. In, in a way that Britney Spears isn't. Yes. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't know that there was the room for someone like Charlie XCX to exist in 1999 or 2000. Like That's who, who, were, who yep. were the pop auteurs who were doing the whole thing themselves, writing it, like maybe producing a lot of it um, and kind of crafting the image themselves. It feels like she has a lot of say over Like this is a very much, it looks like a homemade album. And I don't get the sense that someone from the early 2000s who was making quote unquote pop music would ever have had the control that's a fantastic point. I do agree with that. And I totally get the comparison to like the player empowerment era where like every NBA player has their own like fucking production company now yes. or like, you know, they're all incorporated. That does feel like the movement in pop music to a degree. And I would say Charlie has become one of the major, major players. And it has made me, Jake, want to revisit my now infamous charlie xcx pop star take from a few years ago uh that we wh what were we doing we were at a party and we were doing kind of a bracket of all-time pop stars yes and we kind of we all voted on it to see who would as people at the party we voted on it to see like who would move on to the next round and i remember really standing behind charlie xcx i think i yes. voted for her over it was somebody who nobody agreed with. I, I don't even remember. Rihanna or something? Madonna or something. Rihanna. It was one of the Annas. Um, someone really big. I he was someone really big who like, it, in the moment, it, I, I knew it didn't really make sense. But I was like, the thing about Charlie XCX, I was like, she, it, it's always the fact that maybe her next album will be like this one that changes the landscape of pop music. And she's always this kind of wild card. We have now cashed in that wild card and we have like pocket aces with Charlie XCX now, Jake. Yeah. Because I think she actually has done that with Charlie and like to a degree this album. I think she has like sort of in a weird way positioned herself as like the clubhouse leader in terms of pop stars. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I actually think that. She, no, in she. In terms of like, she's just riding this, this wave right now. In a way that, he, like, Taylor is, like, kind of fucking lame now. Rihanna hasn't put out music in a little bit. Beyonce is like, yeah, I mean, she hasn't put out music in a little bit. Beyonce still Beyonce, though, I mean. That comes down to, I think, interestingly enough, the point we were making just before this, where it does, it's something to do with this sense of autonomy that I get from Charlie XCX. It does yep. feel like, and, like, look, this could be totally manufactured. I could just be, this could be, 
working on me as a marketing gimmick. But like, to me, it seems like she kind of does what she wants and like is less a yeah. product of like a team of marketers or a team of record company, you know, cronies right. or whatever. Um, right. And I agree with you where she occupies a space where even for someone like me, who is, I would say less a fan, not even because I dislike her, but just, I listen to her less than you do. It's, it is readily apparent that she has taken on this pedestal as like this new kind of auteur pop artist. And I think the autonomy bit has something to do with that. It's like, she is a little bit more at the reins in her destiny. That is, that's a great point that I didn't even realize is cool about her. And, and I mean, even I think Rihanna has that to a degree. Beyonce but I also certainly don't, does too. Beyonce does too, but they're in different ways. And I think Taylor has that too, but in a way that is the most corporate or the most calculated. And I think that does sort of like make her less cool in a way. Every decision Taylor Swift makes feels like it was made by somebody who thought, how can we make this cool, but just cool enough so that it's okay to have on the shelves at Target? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yes. And, and there is sort of like this edginess to Charlie XCX. I think both her last album covers sort of like speak to that. There's like this sexuality that, yes. that exists there, but it's almost sort of this like detached sexuality where it's like, yeah, it's like, I'm doing this, but like, I'm kind of over it, you know, or like, it's kind of like, whatever. It reminds me. Like, I'm not trying, I'm not using this to like overtly sell you. Yeah. It's comfortable. It reminds me a little bit of Sky Ferreira. Yeah. In with her album covers, like there was that one, this was like now probably six years ago or seven years ago. My time. Yeah. The album she put out where she's like, she's naked on the front, but it's, it's not, it's, you could look at that as maybe being sexualized, but it's clearly like a vulnerable kind of intentionally not as glamorous right. as it could be image. Um, yep. Yeah. It's yep. a great point. And yeah, so I don't know. I, I think that even though that was a wild take a few years ago, I, I think that holds more water now. And that was kind of my argument. I was like, yeah, she might not be right now, but kind of the potential of her is like what was cool and i think she is like kind of cashed in on that that's so fair being I mean, on the back to me be, <laughs> i think in fairness to the rest of us who are in that debate like you i think she's still probably now is not as big a star as like rihanna no. or or whoever it was she no. was coming up against she's certainly closer than she's, she was she's closer she's pulling in closer yeah and to be honest with you i think what is like cool about charlie xcx i think she speaks to the slightly younger generation a little bit more and i realized it just sounded like i was a thousand years old by saying that sentence she speaks to the younger generation and that's just like a an assumption of mine i don't even know if that's true dude but i just feel like that is the case the truth is is that we're at 27 you i feel like i already may as well be a thousand half the time i know well, we're wise beyond our years, Jake. I True, mean, and I'm leaning into that. Like I said, I would. Because I'm, I'm that mature. That because I think it's cool to be, be mature. Because I've learned it's something people value in me. <laughs> uh, here's something I value, Jake. Uh, this next album, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, they put out a new album uh, called Reunions this past Friday. 
Um, I always like Jason Isbell albums way more than I think I'm going to. As someone who's like, yeah, I don't really listen to country. Um, Jason Isbell always sort of does it for me in a way that like, I'm just always surprised by. It's, it's such a good blend of like country, but also just straightforward like rock songs yeah. um, that really work across, I think, a wide range of music fans. Absolutely. He's, he's just like, the thing that always stands out about Isbell is that he is an excellent songwriter. It's clear that that's his thing first and foremost. Um, really good, smart lyricist who knows how to turn a phrase yeah. in the right way and knows yeah. how to kind of bring resolution with his lyrics. Um, yeah. Clearly thoughtful in that respect. I had a thought when I was listening to this today that, that maybe you'd find interesting. So Jason Isbell was behind... I think some of the songs in um, the uh, what's that movie with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, a star is born. Oh yeah. Star is born. He wrote some of the songs in that, right? Like I think maybe some of you yeah. are the big ones. So it's interesting yep. to me. What does it say about like our culture that fake Jason Isbell, you listen to this album and I listened to it today, this reunions album. And it sounds like the band that Jackson Maine would have. It sounds like the same kind of like, Definitely the songs are all there. The way it's produced yeah. is like maybe a little bloated. It's maybe a little overblown. The guitars are definitely like that arena rock guitar sound. So like pristine, yeah. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like the war on drugs, but country to right. me. And how interesting is it that like Jackson Maine, who is fake movie that, he's the fake version of that, will be always much more successful and famous than the real one that Jason Isbell is that dude. You are 100% correct. And I think that was a huge criticism of a star is born where it's like, actually a band like this wouldn't be that popular and influential. Like that just doesn't happen anymore. That, but we just said earlier with Phoebe Bridgers or, or even Will Toledo, people build up, that they want that that's kind of like a fantasy in everyone's head that there will be like a big rock star icon that we can all kind of get behind yeah but like you said when it exists like jason isbell he's only like i mean he's granted he's very popular he is definitely but he's not jackson main level popular as portrayed in the star is born no jackson main seems like a true rock star like really famous but I don't know, maybe not like crazy famous, but to me, it's like, it's, this is not making waves in a way that that fictionalized version of it would, you know what I mean? Like, you know, no, no, it, it doesn't. I do think Jason Isbell is one of like, he's like the biggest version of that though. I would say like him yep. and like Sturgill Simpson and yeah. like, th there's a brand of like country rock that exists that like, those dudes occupy that has one foot with that country audience that only listens to country but also has enough like critical credibility to stretch across to like the npr crowd or like the pitchfork crowd or like he has his his hands in like a lot of different music listening demographics yeah. which is fascinating to me more and more what, what like is pulling me in and I think there's a lot of people in my demographic which is like I'll like a dude or or a girl or whatever if they're if they're like a songwriter person like I'm a, I, right. if, if, like if they have a reputation is like oh this is a good songwriter 
whatever the genre, yes, that, I'm interested yeah. in that. And Jason Isbell fits that. Sturgill Simpson fits that. Casey Musgraves fits that. Phoebe yeah, Bridges Casey, fits that. She's another one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's such a good point. Um, it's almost like, you know, the way you're like, oh, this guy's a great filmmaker. You know, this guy's a great yeah. director. I'm going to make sure I go see the new Martin Scorsese. I'm going to make sure I check out the new, you know, uh, insert aging, you know, songwriter. here. I'm going to make sure I check out the new Dylan just because it's Dylan, you know? A really good, like, country music songwriter is an experience akin to, like, when someone makes, a, like, a genre movie that usually I would not go for, but it's, like, done. Right. But people are like, no, 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 you don't get, like, this is a really good right. one of that. Like, this is a really, <laughs> right. this is, like, a really thoughtful and interesting kung fu movie <laughs> right <laughs> you know what i mean like you don't no, I, no 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 this this musical doesn't suck yeah right or a western or something where it's like how oh, western like i'm not i have to watch a western it's like no you don't understand this is actually like a good one until tarantino's done one yeah exactly right, yeah. That, that's that's how this is um i just i guess i wish that to your point a guy like jason isbell was on the level of a Charlie XCX or one of those other pop stars we mentioned. And I think that's kind of what like a star is born wants you to think is happening in the world or like can, can still happen. Well, it's like in, in no shot at Jason Isbell, but he's not as good looking as Bradley Cooper. That's another part of it is he's like, you know, whatever. He's just a normal guy. Both are alcoholics though. True. And he sings about that on this album. I, I appreciate the frank honesty about that. That's always interesting. Seems like he's a dude uh, who's I mean, recovered they, from a lot of substance abuse. He, yes, yes. Uh, Over time. That way, for sure. And he, he speaks pretty openly about that. But yeah, I, I've really been enjoying that album. Um, this next one, Jake, Perfume Genius, Set My Heart on Fire Immediately. Uh, this came out on Friday as well. A strong Friday. Very strong Friday, actually. Um, this came out, got a pretty strong Pitchfork Best New Music score. A nine. A nine, even, a nine. right? We yeah, have wow. had, this year so far, we've had only two albums that have gone over nine, and they have been a nine even and a ten even with Fiona Apple. Wow. That's it. What did we set that, that over under at for the nine? I can't remember. I got to check. You say, I'll look if you give me a sec. So, yeah, th this album came out on Friday to quite a bit of critical acclaim, which is really no surprise for, for Perfume Genius. I would say, I, I think his, Michael Hadrius, 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 Michael Hadrius, that's San Andreas. I, I, <laughs> yes, um, actually has one of the strongest discographies that I feel like not a lot of people talk about. He's never put out a bad album. No, yeah, he hasn't. So, okay, so the, the over-under is really quick. For 9.0 or more, we set the line at 3.5. Last year, we got five of them. You took the over, I took the under. It's going to be close. Interesting. It's, that one's going to be okay. the wire. All, we need, all you need is two more. Two more. So That's right. Okay. I totally agree with you. That's very interesting. Here's what I find with Perfume Genius. Every time I listen to a Perfume Genius album, the first time and the second time and the third time, I'm like, damn, this is really interesting. There's songs I immediately throw on my best of the year playlist. Like with this one, I did it with Describe. I did that with, I think there's another one. I can't remember which one. I think it was Without You. I did that with. Mm -hmm. um, and he's this guy who has this really clearly 
musical and, and melodic way of songwriting, a really interesting ear for production and like interesting instrumentation. Um, and what always happens, and I'm going to be interested to see if it happens this time, is I, I lose interest somehow or other. I don't know why that always happens, but it does. You have described the exact experience that I have had with the last three Perfume Genius albums. Yeah. The exact same. I, I listen, I'm like, damn, this is fucking sick. And like, wh- this guy's putting out one of the best albums of the year. I always have one listen like that. And then you're right, for whatever reason, I don't go back. I'm always like, weirdly, as much as I enjoy it, almost intimidated to go back, or I'm never like in the mood, I'm like, ah, like, yeah, it's really good, but like, I just don't feel like listening. I think part of it is, especially that last one, I think No Shape. I really liked it, but it felt a little long. And it's only 43 minutes. It doesn't even feel that long, but like- This one's longer though. Tracks, this one's even longer. 50 minutes. I, so I don't, I don't I'll tell know you what, what it's it been, is. but that's been my exact experience. Here's what it is for me, is I think that with Perfume Genius, um, there's some kind of, there's a darkness there. There's a certain kind yeah. of, of a special kind of like melancholy and yep. and like true darkness that like I feel like comes through and I think it has something to do with it seems like a lot of his music and I could be talking out of school maybe I don't know it feels like a lot of his music comes from the experience of be, growing up gay and being gay and and like how he has had to navigate life as part of that and I think I, when I listen to it it is there's the weight of that is on it and I just feel so much yeah. for this guy and I feel like how life just needs, yep. must be that couple percentage points harder because that's there. And somehow or other wow. that, that yeah. makes it like challenging. And that's, I, I don't know that maybe doesn't even come across well that I'm saying that, but like that's sort no. of true. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think you are tapping into something there where there is a, a, a weight to every single one of these albums that I also feel where there's a darkness just underneath the surface that you're right. You nailed it. That it makes it, as good as it is, it's not easy to go back to. You, you don't necessarily want to live with the album, even though it's, it's like this great work. It's interesting because the one Perfume Genius album that I was able to spend more time with was Put Your Back Into It way back in 2012. I think that's for two reasons. Me too. One, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about uh, before the show, is this was back when listening and finding new albums was a little more scarce. You had to put a little more work in to get an album. I mean, even by 2012, like, I don't think I was using Spotify yet. I think I was either still relying on going to buy a CD or if I wanted to chance like an illegal download or something like that's right. I think that's how I ended up getting this album. And I was like, all right, you better and that was still when i was in the mode of like you bought this album or you downloaded this album you need to spend time with it because like you only have so much music to listen to even back then in 2012 this is one of the last examples of that and i remember like going back to it quite a bit and i like tapped into it but there was that darkness there i think the other interesting thing too is we were like 19 or 20 years old when this album came out I think you're a little more open and receptive to that kind of emotional weight with music when you're like that age. I think you're just like, yeah, I'm feeling stuff. And like, 
this album is like also feeling stuff. So I want to feel that stuff. And like, you're just a little more open to it, or at least that, that's my perspective. Mm-hmm. But I think for those two reasons, that's why I was able to spend more time with that one. Even put your back into it. To me, I agree. I listened to it more, I think, but it also, it might've been a weight that I applied to it by myself or something I assumed, but to me, there's, I, no, there's dark songs on there though. And there's stuff where it's like, it feels like this person has been hurt a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, and it really struggled to come to grips with himself and with how the world will, will perceive him and whatever. And, and to me, even the album title, something like put your back into it. That's like a very overtly, like that's something, it's almost like it, that's sort of an album title that said subversively where that to me, that's like, that's something that is suggestive. Yes. It's it, well. And also like, it's this like overtly masculine thing to be told, like, ah, put your back into it. Like, like fucking, right. you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. But the way it is spelled. Yeah. In being just an N and the two being the number two feels like it's it's delicate in a way or it's, a it's subverting that masculinity. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's what it is, and like I don't know where how even to articulate that in a way that like makes me sound good. Like I I hope that doesn't come across in any way homophobic. That's not how I mean it. The way what I mean is that I can tell. I just can always sense something under the surface that's like, this dude has struggled. There's hurt and there's sort of like pain here. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, as a result, I can't always go there. And I, 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 I know exactly what you mean. Um, either way, this is a good album. And I want to actually be mindful of that taking place when I listen now and be like, why, what is it about this music that's making me like unsure about going back to it, even though I like really like it so it's an interesting conversation to have uh, about um perfume genius but i've been really enjoying that and uh the last one jake you wanted to save moses sumney for the for the future let's save it for next time i have not listened to part two yet i know we both listened to part one back when it dropped and you've listened to part two once but i don't have any takes on moses sumney yet and i look forward to it he's one of my favorite kind of like emerging artists i want to give this album its due yeah and it's getting a ton of acclaim. So I need to spend more time with it as well. Um, I want to give a quick recommendation of the week before we get into release radar. Um, so this, this is a, this is an interesting one that I came across. I'm on Twitter. And this, and this is, this is an example of the beauties of being back on Twitter, Jake, because I get gems like this. This is when Twitter ends up being a positive force. I'm on Twitter and I'm, I follow, I think it's Larry Fitzmorris. Uh, one of the music writers that I follow. And he used to write for Pitchfork. I don't know if he does anymore. Either way, I like following him on Twitter. Um, he, it was one of the first nice days, probably like two or three weeks ago. And he's like, I went outside and I put on Skylarking by XTC. And holy shit, I can't believe anyone made an album this beautiful or like this great or something like that. And I was like, what? What is this? And I looked it up. And it's this band uh, called XTC, and they were, um, I'm looking it up right now, they were uh, an English rock band uh, who was active in the 80s. Yeah, and this they came had out in 86. Out, this came out in 1986. They had already put out eight albums before this. Um, but this one's considered like their their best album. And it's sort of like this, 
pop rock post new wave like crazy amalgamation of like a lot of different like 80s genres um it i i almost can't even describe like how like what it is in a way you almost just have to listen to it but it's so catchy and it's so good it's so enjoyable it's incredibly easy to listen to usually albums from like that time period or like 40 ish years ago i'm like i can't listen to them in the same way almost where like you kind of have to hear it as a product of the time but this one like that doesn't happen wow and it's sort of just like this really cool poppy album in a way where like there's melodies on it i feel like i recognized or like were so familiar to me even though I hadn't heard the album before. Wow. And like, I don't, I, I, I like don't even know how to describe it, but that's my recommendation of the week because it, it was just like this weird, I saw it on Twitter. I was like, that just sounds interesting. I'm going to listen to it on a whim. And I kind of like fell in love with it in a weird way. And it has a ton of great songs. That sounds awesome. And it's something that I would like to check out. And, and the reason I think I'm like particularly primed for that right now is that you, you said new wave in there and you mentioned like 70s 80s era stuff and my recommendation of the week is something that i rediscovered for the first time in like over a decade and this is uh the b52s their first album this is a classic classic bedrock um album discovery for me and is a very classic like sean and jake music debate going back many years where this was one of the rare albums one of us liked and the other did not. And it's, and it's an old, that's not even worth dredging up, but it's like, at the time, you did not feel this album, and I was really, really into it. Um, But I've been getting back into it, the first record, especially the third track, Dance This Mess Around, which I have a whole new appreciation for. It like kind of just hit it's one of those things where like i always liked it but i've been re-listening to it and um the pure energy on the song and the like the the off the wall kind of way they're doing things and the call and response that the two female singers and the one male singer are doing is so interesting and like packed with fucking energy to me it's undeniably fun and fucking and funny and like energetic and danceable and like i can't get enough of it i'm I'm going to listen to this track with fresh ears, Jake, not as like an angsty 15 year old who only listened to like Led Zeppelin. I'm going to give this another listen. I will reassess. That's the power of recommendation of the week. Do me the favor of listen to the second track, 52 girls into it. Listen to that first. It, okay. They go All back right. to back. Fair. And 52 Girls okay. is one you've probably heard before and is like basically just like a straight up pop song that is super catchy. Okay. But the reason I bring I this up that. now is that we, you also were talking about, I think you might even have been in the pre-show, post-show about um, how Chuck Klosterman and uh, Chris Ryan were talking about the experience of going to buy albums. And this is, an al- this is an album I have a very specific memory of going to buy it. It was our sophomore year of high school. I went to Barnes & Noble and I bought... No, try to find two albums that are more dissimilar than this. I bought the B-52's first album and I bought Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. This was, oh my God. This was over, what a combo. 
this was over like February or April break sophomore year of high school. So it was like you had that week off. And I remember going back to yeah. my bedroom and retreating and like the dude at Barnes and Noble saw what I was buying. And he told me, I remember with Miles Davis, he was like, listen to this with the lights off. And it's funny to think about that now years later. Cause it's like this dude had listened to it stoned. He definitely had. <laughs> yeah. Listen with the lights off, he says with a big wink. He's like, go home and like dim the lights and put this on. And I did, and it like I always think of that first experience when I listen to it. Now. That's awesome. So that's an example yeah. of like a formative experience that took place because I went somewhere to buy music and someone yep. physically had to sell it and like made a comment about it, which is interesting. Yep. And and uh, we miss that a little bit. We miss we that now. Um, great. Well, let's wrap up with release radar, Jake. This is for May 22nd, 2020. The two that are on my radar this week. One, the 1975 Notes on a Conditional Form. This album, I think, was announced like over a year ago. Yeah. And has been pushed back, has been tweaked. There's been a ton of singles released. I'm hearing a little bit of buzz, Jake, that this is their best album yet. Wow, really? Yes. And based off the singles I've heard, like I can kind of see that. I've liked all of these singles that I've heard. I haven't okay. heard all of them, but the ones I've heard, I like. <laughs> Is it going to be like 95 minutes long? I fucking hope not, because that's always the problem, is like their shit's too long. Yeah. Um, the other one, Jake, get this. What a treat this is for us. Gunna is putting out his new album, Wanna. I don't know what it means, but it rhymes. we are blessed this year, Jake, to get a Lil Baby solo album and a Gunna solo album. And I hope they wrap up the year with a post-quarantine Lil Baby and Gunna collab, Drip or Drown 3. I would love it. But well, for right now, we have a new Gunna solo album called Wanna. I will be checking it out. I will have a breakdown for you. And I will have the answer who put out the better album this year, Lil Baby or Gunna. I, I'm saying this without uh, irony. I'm saying it without sarcasm. I actually am like looking forward to your, your appraisal. I'm looking forward to knowing who put out the better album. Good. I, I'm doing a service for the people. Um, I, and I say this with some irony, with some irony. Um, but honestly, like, I legitimately just enjoy this music to a degree. So, and Gunn is one of the best who's ever done it, Jake. So, uh, his words, not mine. Uh, gonna wanna. But, gonna wanna. Oh, maybe, maybe that's, maybe it's like, you're gonna want it. Gonna wanna. Uh, is that too much of a stretch? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the album will, will tell us. Gonna wanna. I don't know. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Anyways, that's the episode today. Uh, lively chat. We will be back in uh, two or three weeks again, probably. That's right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye, guys. So, Sean, the uh, Jordan doc is wrapped up. The last dance is over. The last, last dance.
Um, overall, I really liked it. I was highly entertained by it. As was um, I. I. I'm actually really glad it came out when it did. Obviously, we have no sports. Everyone's craving sports, whatever. I do think the Jordan mystique would have made this popular no matter what. Like, even if COVID wasn't happening, I would have been on my couch every Sunday watching this. Um, Me too. Maybe some people here and there wouldn't have been. But I, overall, I think Jordan trumps anything. I think it's possible I would have missed some, but it was incredibly entertaining, and I, I totally agree. Like, he um, – just as a figure is so – engrossing in a way that like you kind of can't explain and that's why it works like obviously go ahead what was hammered home for me watching this i knew how competitive he was but i and i knew a lot of these stories but i didn't know how much that truly formed his personality and who he is as a person um in detrimental ways sometimes and in ways where it makes him a difficult person to be around. And I don't think I realized like, yes, Michael Jordan's cool. Yes. He's a winner. Um, you know, but kind of a shitty teammate in some ways and kind of, I mean, they didn't touch his family stuff at all, but like, I, I think his first marriage ended pretty poorly. I don't know the details around that. They didn't include anything around there, but, um, a fascinating look at what it takes to reach the levels that he did. That's, that's my big takeaway is can someone achieve what he achieved without being the way that he is without being that competitive? Like, is that the, actually the only way that you can win six championships, not lose any five MVPs or everything? Like, is that the only way? It's a fair question, um, and like I think one of the conclusions of the documentary is like kind of because you can be really, really, really good and still be a decent guy. You can be Scottie Pippen and still be like a pretty good, well-rounded guy. You can you can even be Magic Johnson and be like pretty well-rounded. Maybe like have a good family life. Like be a generally nice guy. Uh, maybe you can't be but Jordan. None of these guys are Jordan. Yeah, maybe you, that's what I'm saying. Maybe you can't right. be Jordan and be that. And I think when we look at LeBron, LeBron doesn't have that. No. Um, he, you know what the fucked up thing is? I think most NBA players or most professional athletes are like 90% of that. But like from the competition standpoint, this drive to just like win and get better and all that, like you need that to be a professional athlete. But they don't have that last like kind of psycho 10% that makes you go like, I'm going to invent things in my brain to push me to the places I need to go and invent these narratives for myself to be able to like move forward and put that work in constantly. Cause no sane person is putting in like that much work. You have to be a little bit like off. You do. Yeah. It, it, it reminds me of Brady and it reminds me of like, um, wa- watching Brady's career transpire. And like, there's all those cool moments where, later in his career for Brady as he's getting older and he's less physically able and stuff. And like, but he's still pulling it off from sheer willpower and like sort of grit and like know-how and just see the mental part of the game. Like remember the interview he gave after the Atlanta Super Bowl, where, which is the fifth one that they won. And he, they led that incredible comeback and he had those awesome just drives and stuff. And like, he was just like precise and, and 
was like just seemed to be playing four dimensional chess basically with the defense. Yeah. And he gave an interview with Peter King after where he was like, why would I stop playing now? Like I know the game better than ever before. And I feel like I can do more things. I just know what to do. And you can tell that's, that's how Jordan is in that last game with the, against the jazz. He's just like, all right, I have to take I over thought, right now. I thought the best part of the last two episodes, and they talked about this a lot on, on Simmons, uh, Rosillo, uh, they both did was how smart Jordan was. He wasn't yes. relying on the athleticism of the early 90s. He was using his brain, and it's, it's so Brady-esque. That's a great comparison. Speaking of, like, the Scotty Pippins of the world, did you, what, what do you make of the criticism of this, that it was too easy on Jordan and maybe threw some of his teammates under the bus maybe altered the perspective a little bit because Jordan was involved and had final sign-off. My, my feeling on it was like, I don't know the whole story for all of that. I haven't done enough research to know everything, but as just like someone who's like watching a documentary and seeing if it passes the sniff test, like for me, it felt like given that it is, uh, what do they call it? Hagiography. You know, and Jordan had to have sign-off and stuff. It felt pretty fair. I thought it seemed like fairly balanced. Like, no, they're not going to lift every rock and look at the ugliest parts of Jordan's life. But, like, I, in some ways, it's like, that's not even what I'm here for. I Like, I, he's exactly. a good enough guy. Like, what's the worst thing Jordan's ever done? Maybe he had a bad marriage. The teammate. Yeah, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't need to know about his marriage. Honestly, like, I'm not that no. interested in that. No, Personally. I'm not either. And I, and I think to focus on that would be missing the point. Um, I, I mean, maybe if you filtered it through this lens of like, because he was so hyper competitive, it led to the deterior of his deterioration of his marriage in, in this way. Maybe you can touch on that. But I don't care that it was Jordan centric, Jordan focused, Jordan final sign off, or was maybe leaving certain things out. Because if it doesn't, go that way we don't get this documentary i agree um one thing i disagreed so, uh, go ahead yeah no, well, one, go ahead. one thing i disagreed with that i heard i think it was tony kornheiser said it that he was like i don't care about these parts where they go back and talk about scotty pippen and rodman and phil jackson i totally disagreed, disagreed. i thought those were awesome and like the the steve yeah. kerr one was excellent it was like, I needed that context. I knew a lot of stuff about Jordan. Like I would say of the things that, that they said in this documentary, I at least knew like probably 70% of the Jordan mm -hmm. facts, like mm -hmm. in some way. And there were some new things throughout. Um, I, but I didn't know much about Scotty. I didn't know much about really, right. like his upbringing or, or Phil Jackson's or I knew a little more right. about Rodman, but like, I thought that was really interesting. The way they did that. I agree. I, I, I thought it was very needed. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know that you can tell the full jo Jordan story without going into a little bit of detail around them because he needed those guys to win. That's the reality. And it's interesting because Horace Grant has spoken out about this documentary and was like, Jordan was lying at certain points or like that wasn't how it was mm. or, you know, like he didn't like how he was portrayed. But like, dude, I, I mean – I don't know if you have like that much of a leg to stand on. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I did. I did hear some criticisms that like Horace Grant was pretty important to the first three, and like maybe he should have been. Yeah, should have factored in more. But I don't know. It was entertaining, and it was like 
super interesting. I, I will never, ever be tired of that last 41-second sequence of Jordan's career. It's, it's, it's I would amazing. Say it's the sporting event I didn't watch that I most wish I had watched. Me too. Oh, my God. That's such a great point. Um, you know, it's funny. I remember seeing pieces of one of, uh, of like one game in each of those playoff series. I remember seeing the Bulls and the Hornets play when I was a little kid. I saw like the first quarter. Uh, then I remember one of the games from that Bulls uh, Pacers series as well. Mm. I remember a game, I think it might've been game, game five or six where the Pacers won. Uh, they skipped over it in the dock. They're like in the split games five and six. Like I remember seeing one of those games. And then I remember seeing like a piece of one of the early Utah games, not that last one though. Um, so yeah, I, one of the, the, things that kept coming back to me during this was seeing 90s America and this excitement and fervor over Jordan and Space Jam and like just the the 90s media environment exactly the 90s media environment is so different like the country is a little different it's much more innocent it's much more like we are reaping the benefits of capitalism like no one has ever like like it was all upside of capitalism no downside yeah. a guy like michael jordan is your icon like things are just are so much more complicated now and obviously they're complicated back then too but i just love the rose colored version of america that exists in this documentary and it just seemed like such a time capsule because of that oh dude it absolutely did i totally agree it's interesting to think too that like Sure, the 80s did a lot for basketball, but, like, the 90s is really, like, when it was finally truly established as, like, an American institution and, like, a real exactly. sport to be reckoned with. I feel like even in the it's 80s. export. Exactly. And in the 80s, it was really, like, it was still gaining steam throughout the whole thing. And there were those early, like, Bird, Celtics, and even Magic finals that were, like, tape delayed and stuff because the 70s did all that damage to their, the league's reputation. Yeah. It, who was it? I think it was uh, Jack McCallum. He was on the press box. Did you, you listen to that one? Yes. He was I talking did. about how when he took over at SI in the, I think, the early 80s or the late 70s, um, took over writing about basketball. It, he said it was, like, their sixth or seventh most popular sport. That blew my mind because, like, what it, what it would have to have been baseball, football, hockey, golf. I think he was including, like, NCAA basketball is more popular also and, like, probably tennis, NCAA honestly, then. Bo- boxing. Boxing and tennis, yeah. And golf, maybe. Golf, yeah. Yes. Uh, that's That was fascinating. Yeah, that, that was very insightful. But, but what I was going to say – go ahead. Yeah. No, the, what were you going to say? The last shot. The, so that the photo, I had seen it before, and I forgot how much I loved it. I actually saved it to my phone because I love this picture so much. It's this, yeah. like, panoramic of the entire court shot as if you're at center court, basically. Well, or shot as almost as if you're, like, at the end of the court. And you can see Jordan pulling up for the last shot. And you can see him perfectly, like, centered. And you see the Jordan 23. The ball's halfway to the net. And Brian Russell is still like, or Byron Russell is still like getting up. You can see like Malone looking up at the ball. You can see Pippen like, like, you know what I mean? Like looking around and you see the faces of hundreds of jazz fans in the background, like all the whitest crowd. 
of all time. And like they all know what the fuck is up. They all know, like this. Oh man, like we're hey, done. That is an amazing picture. That is an amazing picture. Wow. Um, yeah. So I really enjoyed it. It was great. And in other entertainment news during lockdown, I have finally embraced Red Dead Redemption Two. Jake, this uh. game has been sitting on my PlayStation Four, waiting to be played for almost two years, and I finally have dove in. It is like really appealing because you you would it's not that hard to play, which is kind of a big barrier for me, but it's also like nature focused and you're kind of just riding a horse through like pastoral landscapes uh, for like I've long seen it of time and it looks incredible it, it's one of the most beautiful games ever and I've just been like spending time hunting and like riding through the woods and stuff. I'm not even like really doing the storyline yet. I'm just like getting pelts and like riding uh-huh. my horse and like shooting my revolver. It's awesome. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So it's been really fun. I'm glad I'm finally playing it. I, but yeah. That sounds, that sounds sweet. I've, I've seen that game before. I played it with a uh, big friend of the pod, Todd, a little bit. I've, I've, I've sort of like – with those games, I always keep it at arm's length. I'm like, I actually have more fun watching someone else play it. Yeah. Um, I remember yeah. like we were just doing like the Grand Theft Auto thing where like you play until you die and you just yeah. cause mayhem. I think he did this thing where he like kidnapped a dude and like tied him to the back of the horse and like dragged him <laughs> yeah. through town. And then we like shot yeah. him in the back of the head or something. Dude, like the, the – <laughs> Those games are so ridiculous, but they're awesome. It's it's interesting because I think Grand Theft Auto lends itself and probably encourages mayhem a little bit more than Red Dead does. Yeah. They they actually introduce this idea called honor in the game where basically your actions matter and yeah. like you will trend darker and have like dishonor if you do like bad things too often and your experience in the game will actually change if you do too many bad things, whereas it could like improve or you get benefits when you act better and they'll give you like situations in the game where like you can just like kill people or try and save them. So I think that's an interesting way in like, even doing the mayhem stuff in Red Dead isn't as fun just because you can't like drive a car. Your horse gets tired and he'll throw you off. It's like you ride him too hard. And like, there's just way more open areas. It's like slightly less intense, I would say. It's like a relaxing sort of like, yeah. you know, experience. It also seems like it would be less obvious how to cause mayhem some of the time. Like it's not, it, it is. you're not in a city where there's like a sidewalk full of people that you can run over with like the truck you right. just stole. Like, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's sweet. In other really quick entertainment related things, your boy, and you know, cause you listen, but I was on uh, Tim Heidecker of Tim and Eric's Beatles podcast. Yes. I was, yes. I, I called in as one of the, like the Patreon subscribers. And I uh, got to talk to him. So if anyone out there who is still listening to this podcast at this point of the, of the runtime, which you fucking aren't, but if you are, <laughs> listen to this barrier to entry, you have to go pay to listen to this podcast. You have to become a Patreon subscriber and listen to the, the, the final episode of their Beatles podcast. It's called Please, Please Let It Be. 
or you could just hit me up and I can send you the audio file. Um, <laughs> that's, how I, I, that's how I was able to hear it. And I, it was good. Like, yeah. honestly, if I, like, I usually as a rule just don't really subscribe to podcasts or, or I mean, like, like pay for them. Um, if I never had until available, I would listen. Like it's, it sounded good. Like I liked it. I liked what I heard. You were good on it. Maybe you could be a regular contributor, Jake. Maybe I could. Maybe I maybe, should. Maybe we do them a favor. Actually, this is a great place to maybe bury um, the fact that we almost had like a real interview on this show. Well, you know, we never know. We haven't received a reply email. We maybe maybe That's we'll true. reply. We'll see if by next if by the next time we're recording. Okay we have not heard back, then we can tell the tale of like what we almost Okay. All right. All right. That sounds good. It's nothing crazy. No one would ever be blown away by it, but it's like kind of cool. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Honesty might've been our, it's not, it's not nothing. No, it's not nothing. And, and honesty might've been our worst enemy. Cause I, yeah. You know, it, it always is the best policy. That's true. Because you know what? The, the reality is like doing this would have stressed us out a little bit. Yeah. Maybe that's the universe being like, Hey, you know, you're in quarantine. Like, do you really need to add this onto your plate? Yeah. Well, we'll see the, 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 the long, the headline here listeners is that we might be interviewing someone who hopefully you would find interesting. You probably have not heard this person's name before. I wouldn't think. No, probably not. I don't think so. But you, but they're they're just someone who's they're doing something that is interesting to related to music and like that we've talked about recently that we've talked about recently so we'll leave that as a cliffhanger and probably resolve it when we tell you it didn't happen next time (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's probably true yeah all right you ready to dive in here yeah let's do it all right Oh, sorry. Three, two. <laughs> were you wait, are you ready? Yeah. Were you waiting for me to count it down? Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't know if you you had to check anything. I'm so used to you doing a final check on the mic or whatever, or like everything, just to be like, yeah, we're good. And then you being like, yep, we're good. That always, I, I was just waiting for it. What we've forgotten, though, is that that always comes before I record at all. That's true. That's yeah. true. And well, usually, but what you're remembering is that I'll be like, oh, let me pull up the agenda. Right. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So we're still recording. <laughs> we're on now. Okay. All right. All right. Ready? Three, two, one.